Did you have that that book we were working on? Okay, would you please? Um, since I was last here, I kind of think uh, the snips was it here just for a day last September? I don't remember because we promoted the uh, yard signs, and if you'd like to have a yard sign like the one out in front of the church, uh, I have helped to any of them in the car because this is the first meeting of this trip. Uh, anyway, a friend of mine and I put together a book called Hymns and Scripture, and there's 125 songs in here. And each verse, each line has scripture verses. Uh, for example, here we have uh, Jesus will feed and move, uh, and Jesus shall reign. And there's uh, sometimes uh, two to three verses for each phrase, each line. Now I recommend for teachers and families, it's an excellent devotional tool uh, to uh, re read a verse of a song. Have your children look up the scripture verses, read the Bible, the verses, and see how they connect with what that phrase just said. And then there's a chorus, go through the chorus, and then sing the song, one, just one verse in the chorus, and then the next night you go back to the devotions and do the next verse. There's an idea probably for a couple of years worth of family devotions. And uh, we had a problem, and I found out too late, I just printed 50 more copies and found that they're two page tens. So I went and bought some little stickers from Nellie Line, got a, got a, uh, a what do they call it, and was able to make up, print up new labels. So I have new labels, and you know what I did? I put up two eighty twos. So we're working on trying to get this exact. And one copy that's ready, if you're interested, you can take a look at it. And so, Pastor, I'm going to try to work on that tomorrow, get the other ones done, and I'll print out. I'll print out a whole fleet of eighty threes. So, like I said, you can't proofread your own stuff, right? So, anyway. <clears throat> Take your Bibles, please. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. And uh, what do you think about the idea of giving your pastor that assignment for a 10-message series in Romans 1? What do you think about that? Is that a good idea or not? Well, let's stand for a little bit more. What's he talking about? Uh, you know, tell me when you're in Romans 1, I'll show you. And you can do the same thing up there at Acre Lake. Or Half Acre Lake, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Romans 1, there are 10 things here that you could actually preach an entire sermon on each one of them. In verse 1, we have the gospel of God. In verse 4, the Son of God. In verse 7, the beloved of God. In verse 10, the will of God. These are all good sermon titles, aren't they, subjects? Um, let's see, and then down in verse uh, 16, the power of God. In verse 17, the righteousness of God. In verse 7, the wrath of God. In verse 23, the glory of God. Verse 25, the truth of God. And then down in verse 32, the judgment of God. Now there's a good lesson plan. There's a good preaching plan, but I'm not a pastor. I can't do that. I may study that and do it myself anyway, but I know nothing. I'd be preach. I'm not in the church long to preach ten messages anymore. Uh, I used to do two week meetings and have one one such meeting in uh, in uh, let's see where was it? It was somewhere out in the Midwest, in Washington State, Quincy, Washington. And uh, had two week meetings. The church has not had a funeral in about three or four years. There were three funerals during the two weeks that I was there. So three times during my two 
Lady of Crusade, we have three triangle horses out in front of the church. I said, this is not good advertising for the meetings, you know. I hope that they're swaying in the spirit. They just kicked the bucket. All right, Romans chapter 1, we're going to go back to verses 14 down to verse 17. But I want to back up and read verse 13 with it because verse 14 is kind of connected without that. Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was not hitherto or was prevented, in order that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to point out three things to you in these verses, if I may please. Uh, first of all, we want to note in verse 14, Paul's obligation. And then in verse, uh, in verse 15, Paul's preparation. And then in verse 16, Paul's proclamation of the gospel. Before we continue, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this lovely Lord's Day. Thank you for a good service this morning. Thank you for those who have come again tonight. And thank you for Pastor James and Brother Mark. Oh, Lord, you bless each of us as we study your word together. May you accomplish that which you intend, and may we have receptive and responsive hearts to listen and to heed. Because without heeding, we make fools of ourselves and we miss the whole purpose of why we're here. So, Father, help us be doers of the word, and not just hearers only, by your grace and for your glory. And for what you require is in us and through us and through the mercy of the Spirit of God, we thank you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's obligation, to whom was Paul a debtor? He says it right there in verse 14, I am debtor. I have an obligation. I have a, a, a major debt to Paul. Well, what was that debt, and to whom was he indebted? Well, he tells us in verse 14, I am indebted, I am debtor, I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, the Greeks were part of the Greco-Roman Empire. Uh, they were kind of the uh, upper crust of society. They were the they were the educated folks and, and that sort of thing. And, and then he says, I'm also a, uh, a, a debtor to the barbarians. I used to tease Bob about her name Barbara because one of the definitions is barbarian. But then you have to take it a step further. Uh, this is consistent with her name Kenneth. We all know what Kenneth means, right? This is one name, one of the few names all the baby books agree with. The name Kenneth means handsome. Oh, well. You can't, you can't hit it every time, right? Uh, so I always give her name about a barbarian, you know, but the, the, the word barbarian simply means a foreigner or a stranger, but she was no foreigner to me. But uh, you see, this would be like us as Americans talking about, uh, I, I, I'm obligated to my fellow Americans, I'm obligated to the foreigners and those uh, who are not my fellow Americans. Now, outside the boundaries of her own country. And, uh, but also he includes all classes of people here, 
both to the wise and to the unwise. Uh, to the wise and the self-righteous, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that don't believe, to those who, who are, as we would put it today, who are trusting in human wisdom rather than the word of God. To them the preaching of the gospel is utter foolishness. There are people who think, I'm, I'm a fool, I've wasted my time, I've spent thousands of dollars traveling back and forth, back and forth across the country, playing free musical numbers and giving speeches. Well, they're not speeches, they're sermons. They're sermons from the Word of God and from the heart to reach the people of God and those who need to become the people of God. And uh, so to the wise, there, there are a lot of people, folks, who are wise in their own eyes. Uh, one, one man comes to my mind, his first name is Stephen, and I can't think of his last name. Uh, he is a brilliant scientist. You know who I'm talking about? What was his last name? He was all crippled up with some terrible disease. Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Dr. Stephen Hawkins. And he, he couldn't help but feel sorry for the man, but he was a blasphemer. He was an ungodly, he was a wicked man, he was an atheist, he denied God, he didn't just deny God, he denounced God, he mocked God, he made fun of God, but he's not doing it anymore. His brilliant mind may may regard the science and math and things like that, but folks, none of that means a thing when you stand before God. If you stand before God right with God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, or you stand before God as an enemy of God and one who is under divine judgment, as we'll notice as we go through our passage tonight. And then Jesus also says, I'm going only to the Greeks and the barbarians. In other words, my own countrymen and those around the world. And by the way, that's kind of what we call worldwide evangelism. Uh, but I am going to all classes of society, even to the unwise. Uh, to those who are, if I take your finger here, if you want, please, and go back to Matthew chapter 18, real quickly. Matthew chapter 18. And verse, uh, I think it's verses 3 and 4. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, but that's a hard thing, isn't it? You know, the, the great world city on April the 6th in the, in the front seat of the 1948 Dodge along the side of Route 352 in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania, is now the right-hand turn lane. The hardest thing for me to do with my money was have a Bible, or have a Bible in the motorhome, turning me to Christ at 15 years of age. The hardest thing to do was for me to humble myself. I mean, my thinking was, well, I know, I know I'm not all that good. Huh. Anybody need to do that? But my thinking was, I'm not all that bad. Well, I may not be good enough for heaven, but I'm sure not bad enough for heaven. If you're not good enough for heaven, where else is there? That's a good place, Pauline. That's a man-made place, a, a, a fictitious place like, like Never Never Land. And uh, I had to realize that I was a sinner on my way to hell, and it was deserving to go to hell. Folks, that's all any of us ever deserved. We not only were under the wrath of God, John 3.18, we not only under the condemnation of God, but we were there justly so because of our sin. 
the face says, unless you humble yourself, Genesis 22, by the same is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't, if you don't build it, then you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There are also other verses that would deal with that same aspect. Back to Romans chapter 1. So Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul is saying here, I have a worldwide obligation. Literally, the whole world. Now, we're going to take that a step further and make this real personal, alright? That's the big story. That's the, that's the big screen. What about the little screen at this location? The shopping. Uh, I, I like to hear people about me shopping, immediately the shopping. You know what it means, don't you? It's an Indian town, an Indian village, and, and we say, me hunting. Squaw say, me shopping. Because that's what women do, right? They're born to shop. That's what my brothers say anyway. Uh, but folks, this is part of the world. This is part of the, the world evangelization that needs to take place. And bless your heart, the missionaries in Africa are not going to let you be shopping. The missionaries in other places are not going to let you be shopping. God has placed a whole bunch of missionaries here. Amen? Right here to reach this area with the gospel of Christ. Um, not just preachers, but missionaries. Again, let me ask you to keep your finger here and turn very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this is very important and it, it goes well with what I'm trying to share with you tonight. And we may not get this message all in tonight. We may not get out of Romans 1 this week. But I'd like to answer great chapter. When I came back, I, was, I never told you this, but I was asked several years ago to, to teach a course in Romans in, in Kenya, Africa. And with a Baptist Missions Bible College there, and 30 hours in one week. <laughs> you know, so I said, where do I start? So I got my college notes out and finally put them there. And I tell you, this is why I said now in the book back there called Roman Through Romans, it's a couple hundred pages in the book of Romans commentary. And uh, when I came back, I was so fired up in the book of Romans, when I came back, I had a whole bunch of sermons and my wife said, honey, there are 65 other books you can preach from. Because <laughs> it seemed like 9 for was Romans, Romans, Romans. Um, anyway, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice uh, verse 18 down to verse 20. Paul writes, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, because of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. Now, notice the word reconciled is found twice, and reconciling is found once, and, and reconciliation is found twice. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, it's, it, it, the suggestion, it's, not, it's more than a suggestion, it's a stated fact that two people who need to be reconciled are not in a right relationship with each other. The judge believes that no-fault divorce or a court judge would often require that the couple go for marriage counsel because at some point there is some attraction and let's, let's see if we can't go back and find out what the problem is and resolve the problem so we can continue to have a happy marriage. Reconciliation, being reconciled one to the other. Well, here in this case, in 2 Corinthians 5, those who need to be reconciled are 
people. We need to be reconciled to God because we are not in a right relationship with God. And by the way, it's a one-way problem. We're the ones who rebel against God, not the other way around. And so now things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ. Now think about that. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God? Amen? Here he is, in the person of Christ, God the Father was in that sense becoming the very means, the very sacrifice and the means of making us right with himself. Think about that. God, uh, Abraham told Isaac, God will provide himself, not that himself will provide, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So this idea of reconciliation, we need to be brought back into a right relationship with God, and that's what salvation is all about. And notice we, we are given something. I know, we, I know we're given eternal life. But we're given something else. Look at it in verse, uh, verse uh, 18. He hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. One of the gifts that you have been given as a result of your salvation is the ministry of reconciliation. That's not reserved for evangelists and pastors and missionaries. That's responsible. That's an obligation for every born-again child of God. Listen, <coughs> as God provides opportunities to share the gospel and witness to others uh, for the gospel of Christ. And then, of course, in verse 20, uh, we are ambassadors. And then notice what it says. We pray you in Christ. Lord. What does that word pray mean? Well, pastors, even pastors can't answer that because they don't know anyway. Okay, what is the word pray? We pray you. What does it mean? Huh? Yeah, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a particular other word for that has an emphasis. Yeah? We beg you. We beg you. Now, for years, when I looked at verse 20, and for pastors, we pray you, we beg you in Christ that ye reconcile to God. My immediate understanding of that was that was Paul pleading with sinners to get saved. But you know what I found out? That's not true. Because notice what he says. Uh, we are ambassadors. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you be ye. To whom is he writing? Corinthian church, the body of believers in Corinth. In other words, these Christians were out of the will of God. They were not right with God. They needed to be brought back into fellowship with God, particularly in the spiritual truth in the area of soul winning or evangelism and witnessing. A Christian who doesn't witness and share the gospel is a Christian who's not right with God. I, folks, I want to have a specific kind of right. Is that right, pastors? We need to be reconciled to God in this area. And uh, by the way, I had just my final prayer yesterday, and I, I wore my baby hat so I could get room for food. <laughs> Evangelists are always looking for a free life. I had room for that. I was a, a veteran. And I had a little flat I wrote about Francis Marion, USS Francis Marion, named after the Swamp Fox. And I wrote my longest version, but I give, I give you a history lesson as well as the gospel there. And uh, a little while ago, I gave it back to him. So I remember it as my Savior. He'd given us a similar lesson in Egypt and, and had a lot of opportunities to, to talk with people about the Lord, Erica, Erica, 
as we were. Um, so we, we all have this obligation, this responsibility. We have that in the Romans chapter 1. Notice Paul's cooperation. He readily admits his obligation, an obligation that you and I have as well. But our need to be surpassed in cooperation before he could carry out and fulfill that obligation. Uh, and notice here he says, I am ready, verse 15. Uh, I am better both to the Jew Greeks than to the barbarians, but to the wise than to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready. I am prepared to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now he's writing to a body of believers that they need to have the gospel preached. Hey, listen, believers ought to rejoice and, and enjoy the preaching of the gospel to, to be reminded sometimes of what we were saved from and what God has done through us and what he desires to do through us. And so Paul's desire was to be able to be with them, to meet with them, to preach the gospel to them. So far we know this morning that it was not in God's plan, as in yet, but he, at the time he wrote this epistle. Uh, in Colossians 3, verse 6, Paul writes, Let your speech be always with grace. And here's the key word. Ready for this? Seasoned with salt. In other words, our speech ought not to be the kind of speech that rubs salt in the wounds of another. Uh, you, don't, you don't take a steak, a nice porterhouse steak, that's been nicely marinated and on the grill, nice and medium rare, or medium, just medium, nice, nice and juicy and everything, and you get on your plate, you take the salt shaker, and you unscrew the top, and let it just melt the whole thing in your steak. Now salt is a seasoning. It brings out the flavor. Alright, so our speech is to be enhanced with a little salt to bring out the flavor, as it were. But it's not to be mean-spirited. That we may know how we ought to answer every man. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Paul said, or rather Peter said, Be ready always, not just, not just when I talk about your Sunday school lesson preparation, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you in meekness and in fear. People that's lived your life and seen you live are going to ask you questions. Do you really believe that? Why do you believe it? Well, why do you believe it? Well, Pastor Meyer said so. Not good enough. Now, I appreciate Pastor Meyer's and Pastor Steve's, and they're good men, and they're God themselves, but because they say so is not good enough. Paul commanded the Bereans because when Paul preached the Bereans, they went back to their Bibles, whatever part of the Scripture they had. The Bible says they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were being preached were true. And as they were, the Bereans rejoiced in that. And Paul says they were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica. And yet the Thessalonian epistles really have that great truth of the, the rapture of the church. Amen. What a wonderful thing that's going to be. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare to be that witness? How do, how do we prepare to be able to fulfill the obligations we have in the carrying out of the gospel message? Well, uh, two ways. Ephesians 3, like another one, the pastor teacher. Uh, the pastor to be a teacher of the word. There are four gifts you have in Ephesians 3. There's the apostle, the, uh, the prophet, and the apostle. Both of which have passed away. And we have the evangelist and the pastor-teacher. Some try to make five gifts out of that. Uh, but the pastor is obviously a teacher. He's to feed the flock while he's warm the cook. I don't know how 
makeup. Right now, I know there's lots of girl makeup. Man, she had, she had a wonderful day today. I had so many carbs. <laughs> but they're good for you. They're not good tasting carbs. So I indulged. Those that indulge bulge. But anyway, uh, the fact is that the pastor's responsibility is to spread the flock of God to teach you. And by the way, in Ephesians 4, the advantages of the pastor are both given to the body of Christ for the perfecting or that word profound is the maturing of the saints. And then the next phrase is for the work of the ministry. In other words, the work of the ministry in Ephesians 4 11 is not done by the pastor, it's done by the people who have been trained and equipped by the pastor and the evangelist to do that. Now, a teacher presupposes a student, right? Uh, you guys, what grade are your girls in? Seventh? Fifth? Second? Second? Any other church here in school? I guess that's about it. Uh, no, there's no teachers in your school, right? No teachers? Every school has teachers. A school without teachers is worthless. But can I say this? A school without students is worthless. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I, I don't go to church a whole lot. And they wonder why they're, they're struggling in their Christian life. They're wondering why they don't have victory. wondering why things aren't going the way they are. Because they have maybe given tests throughout their life. But they're failing the test because they've not made the material because they have played hooky. They have failed to show up for class. And folks, if you, if you, if you skip class, guess what? You're still going to have to take the exam spiritually, but you're going to fail it. You're not going to do well because you don't know how to do well. Because the Word of God has not been put into your life through the pastor teacher because you hadn't been in class. And the fun to notice if you read that in verses 16 and 17, I think we will get through this tonight. Notice Paul's proclamation, having recognized his obligation, and I hope, I hope tonight that you'll have recognized your obligation to this area. Is this considered mountainous? This is not country. What, are, what, are, what is this area considered? Mountain people? Hillbillies. Hillbillies. All right, anyway. It's a beautiful area, I'll tell you that. Anyway, um... Having recognized their obligation, he properly prepared himself. Now, now he has to go out there and get the job done. The preparation, and now the proclamation. Uh, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. By the way, not just to the elect. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. What, uh, what was he not ashamed? The gospel of Christ? Not a social gospel that has been promoted by the Southern Baptist Convention and by the American Baptist and the National Council of Churches. Though, well, there's some people, it's one problem to have the corporate program is churches don't get to support missionaries and missionaries don't get support. Missionaries get hired and fired. It's a job. And they don't have any prayer support to speak of. It's, it's, a, it's a bad program. But then the denomination's bad too. Anyway, um, it's not a social gospel. We're supposed to just go out there and teach them to read and write. Folks, without the gospel, all we do is send them to hell educated. 
Ele disse lá na, na mesa on, 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 for his medical mission, medical mission which is a great opportunity, that all they do is, is treat their medical issues, we send them to Ann Arbor. All we do is teach them how to how to do better sanitizing and and uh, and, and, and uh, to to raise uh, do more as far as fertilizing and getting better crops. More we send them to Ann Arbor for more. Without the gospel, there is nothing. It's not a political gospel either. We used to have a lot of that back in the seventies. Uh, the moral majority, which there never was a moral majority. You know, and, and the God and country and all that kind of stuff. You know, you, the only people who can make the God and country are born again people. You can have unsaved people who are, who are politically conservative, but they can't be for God and country. Oh, they can say God bless. Uh, Miss Naomi Wu says God bless America. Uh, anytime he does that, then how dare you? How dare you use the name of my God in that? blasphemous, sacrilegious, mockery way. When everything you do is completely an offense to him and contrary to him and his word. It's not an ecumenical gospel either. It's not we're we we in the same place, but just taking different roads. Hey, get a memo? Is it true or false? Can I disagree? They're all going it's true, they're all going to the same place. It just isn't the place we think it is. Alright, so, you, you, are you with me on that one? Alright, so it's not an ecumenical gospel, you know, we can always get, we'll just don't emphasize, we will disagree, we'll find points of agreement, and that's where we'll fellowship. No, the Bible says, come out from among you and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Because the ecumenical gospel, the social gospel, the political gospel has no power to transform and save lives. Only the gospel of Christ has that power. And notice the person of the gospel. It's not the gospel of Joseph Smith. It's not the gospel of Mary Baker Patterson Norman Eddy. It's not the, not the gospel of, of, of the Pope. It's the gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, We preach Christ and Him crucified. What are the particulars of the gospel? Let's take your finger here real quick. We won't be long here. And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I recently, back in June, was in a conference in Hanover, Pennsylvania, where the whole conference was an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13. Had seven different preachers taking different sections of it. But notice in the first few verses, in verses 3 and 4, we have here where Paul says, I do in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, by which you have, uh, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that here's the gospel in a nutshell, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was all prophesied. And that he was buried. Listen, folks, the burial is a vital part of the gospel because it clarifies and validates the death of Christ. And then that he, uh, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, uh, of, of the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, we emphasize that word power back in verse uh, 16. Uh, it is the power of God. The word power 
this is Greek word dynam- uh, uh, dynamos, I think it is, we get the English word dynamite. Now, I know we have this word atom, we have the hydrogen bomb, and the iron bomb, and all this stuff. But what I'm saying is, dynamite is still a dangerous and very, very powerful uh, item. And the dynamite of the gospel is the gospel of Christ. No gospel, no power. What is the purpose of the gospel? Well, notice, it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Folks, no one, listen to me, no one has to die and go to hell. And if they do, they do so by their own choice. If for no other reason than the fact that they are saying no to Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, I'm not a way, I'm the only way. No man comes to the Father but by me. Folks, nothing could be more clear than that. If you don't know the way of the cross, and I love that song, the way of the cross makes sure, you, you lose it, you don't know it. You go to God's way, or you don't go. You go to God calls, or you don't go. You go where God does the work, or you don't get it done. The purpose of the gospel unto salvation, and the people involved to everyone that believes it. And then he only says to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The reason for that is, uh, this, this is one of the earlier epistles of Paul. Later on, in the book of Acts, around chapter 12 and 13, he, he finds that most turned to the Gentiles. The idea was that God's plan was for the Jew to receive the Messiah, which they rejected. In the book of Acts, we have three major rejections. And if you think about that, that, that divides the book of Acts into three historical sections. Number one, you have the rejection of, uh, of Christ. Then you have the rejection of Stephen. And then you have the rejection of Paul. Paul then went on to the Gentiles. But before that, he always went to the Jew first. God's chosen people. It was God's plan that through the Jew the gospel would be preached and the Gentile would be reached. But they would have none of it. And so God finally had to lay aside the Jew and give them blindness to Paul and go directly through the Apostle Paul, go directly to the Gentile. And folks, you and I here tonight are beneficiaries of that. We all have to rejoice in the fact that God said, okay, the Jew won't have it, I'll give it to you. We ought to feel sorry for the Jewish people. They have rejected the only thing that's going to be their aid, the only thing that's going to get them into heaven. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Any other time you hear the Messiah, Christmas time and other parts of the year, and you usually have these big choirs accompanied by a major orchestra, and I think to myself, how many Jewish people are in that choir singing about their Messiah from the King James Bible? I mean, folks, the gospel is in that piece of music. Since by man came death, so by Christ came the resurrection of the dead. Oh, man, some of those, some of those chorales are just absolutely magnificent settings of Scripture. But they had turned a blind eye and had rejected the Messiah, and God has given them over. And notice the provision of the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed, in verse 17, from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says that he, Christ, was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. Not in ourselves, right? It says, do you remember, do you remember um, Obama's Tucker, Castro Tucker program? Everything those people do is, uh, 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 never mind. <laughs> What's the meaning of them? No, really don't. I'm a better liar, okay. But Castro Tucker, when he did the don't talk to women and don't give me cash, what not, who all that And he went by a new car that you couldn't afford and came up for it being repossessed. So it was a bad program. But folks, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is cash for tokers. Trading our self-righteousness for his righteousness. Trading our unholiness for his holiness. What? That's the theory. You can't pass up. And yet so many do all the time. One final thought will be done. Notice then the performance of the gospel at the end of verse 17. He says, the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified, those who are declared set free from the penalty of the charges laid against them, that's justified. It means you're no longer under that category. You've been, you've been set free, right? Uh, for those who are just, just means so it's because of faith. The just shall live by faith, not only in salvation, but also in our daily life. The life of a child of God is a life of faith. The life of an evangelist, believe me, is a life of faith. You never know from one week to the next what your income is going to be. Uh, you never know what your expenses are going to be, but I have a pretty good idea what expenses are facing me, because I'm heading to California. Well, I was out there in the spring, gas was $6.60 a gallon. So I didn't do any extra driving. I got to where I was going to go, and I stayed there. Somebody said, you want to go? I said, yeah, you're driving. <laughs> uh, anyway, so anyway, the fact is that, folks, uh, the just shall live by faith. A verse that has been a great deal for me over the years is found in Galatians chapter 2 and, and verse 20. Let me read it to you. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that's right now on this earth in 2022, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The just shall live by faith. Have you been justified by faith, therefore being justified by faith? Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. Well, tomorrow night we're going to come back and look at verses 17 to 32. And I hope you'll be here for that. That's a, that is one powerful, powerful passage. And we're going to go through all those terms and give you the meanings of what they mean. And there are three times, you'll notice if you want to read it tonight, there are three times when God says, the Bible says, God gave them up. God gave mankind a body, soul, and spirit because of his choices. And we'll look at that in our study tomorrow evening. Let's bow together as we pray. Thank you, Father, for our time in this wonderful section of Romans 1. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts tonight to realize the obligation we have to as you provide opportunity, and you do, to share the gospel and 
Let others know what Christ has done for us and can do for them if they'll get ready. Speak to our hearts, we pray, Father. Draw us closer to yourself. Help us to confess our own sin. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Pray that we'd have good attendance this week for these next three nights. And that you would be pleased to bless and honor your word. Encourage the saints of God. Encourage Pastor's heart. And Father, may Jesus Christ alone be glorified, for he alone is worthy. In his name we pray, ask your blessing. Amen. We're going to be singing in just a moment that wonderful invitation hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, right? Is that the one? Have Thine Own Way. Thy Father means God's in control. I'm glad. Folks, potters don't work with granite. Sculptors do. The hymn writer refers to God as the potter from Jeremiah on the potter's work. Pliable, moldable. Let me have my way while I'm waiting, kicking and screaming, right? Yielded and still. Sometimes God has to be like Michelangelo and take a hammer of, of divine omnipotence and the chisel of problems and persecution and tribulation and chip away at our life. But even then, God can, it takes even more time, but he can produce a product to his glory. So as God speaks, you deal with these matters tonight. Pastor?
all those P's, it makes it easy to remember. But there are people all around us. And when we ask you to pray with those three folks that came this morning, uh, two of them professed to be Christian, maybe all three, or just we're not sure yet where they stand. We, we take that, we mean that very sincerely. Amen. We need to pray. Right? We need to pray. Um, back in the day of the early church, the apostles said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. We need to do that today. And all, all the other things that churches do and can do, we must never forget those two basic things, prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so it's great to see everybody out tonight and praise the Lord for you. Yes, sir. And so, yes, sir. I will spend the way the glasses tomorrow night. Okay, all right. You practice and I'll do the look. I'll put the number stickers on the book. Alright, let's pray. Father, thanks for this evening. We're thankful, dear Lord, that we can just rejoice together. We can sing. We can even smile. We can laugh at, at times. And yet, Lord, we're also serious about the Word of God. We're just thankful, Lord, that a merry heart would good like a medicine. And Lord, I pray that just being here tonight has been a blessing to everyone. And Lord, they'll be able to take something from here this evening. Especially, Lord, help us to remember what we've heard from God's Word. And if there are those here tonight who have not yet trusted in Christ, Father, help them. And we know, as our brother said, it's got to be the working of the Spirit of God. And so we pray that 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 Spirit would work in hearts. And for us as believers, O Lord, help us to remember that those around us who are lost, that we need to hear the Gospel, Help us to live by faith as we've also heard tonight. Please watch over us this night. Again, thank you, Father, for a great day. Please continue to work, we ask. We will thank you, Father, for all that's accomplished. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.